0: I like trying to solve the problem rather than saying, cool, that's the equation. I have a fundamental belief about the world that, like, if you ask the right questions, you can solve the problem. And I just believe that if we're creative enough, we can figure out a way to make it grow profitably. Welcome to the game, where we talk about how to get more customers, how to make more per customer, and how to keep them longer, and the many failures and lessons we have learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe.
1: We're here with the man with the greatest beard on the internet, who might enjoy talking about Chipotle even more than I do, Mr. Alex Ramosi? Thank you for having me. How you doing, man? I'm amped to be here. I'm actually pretty, uh, I feel like you're just slightly disappointed. You you thought I owned a bunch of companies. You're not the first person, because in my bio, it, it just links them down below. So people are like, damn, you own Movement and Ghost. and That's what I said. I was and and then the other say, two I companies I don't know about.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I uh, Well, I'm glad that you worked with those guys, because it's still very cool brands. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, why don't, uh,
1: for the people that don't know you, why don't you just, uh, I like to say, like, what's your Uber pitch of if someone's just like, who are you? What do you do? And you're like in a car somewhere. What's your like quick little identifier?
0: Uh, started with a chain of gyms out of the Southern California. I sold those, kept the IP, started licensing the model to just under 5,000. Actually, I think we're just over 5,000 locations now. Um, sold two thirds of that company last year, uh, and some ancillary companies that went with that, uh, at 46. 46.2 million, um, to a private equity firm out of San Francisco. Um, and during that whole period of time, it was a very cash flow positive company. Uh, and so we started doing a lot of private investing. And, uh, right now, uh, we started acquisition.com not right now. I mean, two years ago, I started acquisition.com and that portfolio of companies does about $200 million a year. Um, I always want to be like, and I have, (laughs) um, and I make a lot of content now, uh, just to help other people do it to and hopefully uh, grow their business big enough that we could, you know, invest in them someday. That's what you would tell an Uber driver. Yeah. <laughs> that exact specific. Well, I have a long ride. I got 10 minutes. He's going to just have to listen to it. You know?
1: <laughs> He's like, God damn, I didn't need the whole life story. Yeah. <laughs> well, so like generally when I interview like any sort of guest, I like to do some sort of, you know, deep dive on them so I don't come in fully looking like an idiot, but I, I like to also not, you know, know everything about them. So I'm kind of fresh and I'm very, you know, on the internet you're the the 100 million dollar man everyone likes to refer to you as. Do you like that name?
0: I mean, it'll it's a little under now and it's, <laughs> you know, in 5 years I'll hate the name, so you know. It's kind of disrespectful to only call me the 100 million dollar man. <laughs> it's I mean, it's I'm I'm honored, it's very nice. I'm flattered by it. And a lot of it is because of the book. So 100 million dollar offers was cuz I think at that point when I wrote the book um, you know, we'd done 120 million ish in cumulative sales. And so I was like, here's the stuff that we learned about making offers. And so I just put it in the book. And I think people just took that title and, you know, slapped it on me.
1: Do you think people who like own businesses or whatever, when they get to $1 million, they like to refer themselves to as a millionaire? Is that like when the moment you hit a hundred million dollars, like I'm a
0: hundred millionaire, I actually made a, uh, a video about this, but there's like seven different ways I've seen people talk about like their net worth, most of them false, but there's like, how much total sales I've done over the lifetime of my business is like total revenue. And then it's, um, you know, one step underneath that would be, uh, like the value of the company based on equity. And then another one underneath that would be like what their current run rate is. And then another one is like what their profit is. And then another one would be like what their cash flow is. And so I'll say one of the things that I have feel like I've learned is like the wealthier you become, the more amorphous, what net worth even means is amorphous. Because- yeah, it's just it's muddy, it's murky. It's not uh like when you're poor, you know exactly what you have because you don't have much and you can count it on your fingers, right? Yeah. When you have a lot, then it's like, well, what's the value of the 28% stake I have in this business that we're not planning on selling and we're reinvesting profits into? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I could probably sell that to different people for different prices like and then I would, it would, so a lot of a lot of assets aren't liquid. And so even even when you it's kind of funny cuz like going through the sale process, you get a big chunk of cash and then after that You then have to allocate the cash. So when people are like, "Oh, this guy's worth a billion dollars," it's not like he has a billion dollars in his bank account. He just owns something that is worth a billion dollars, which is very different. You know, the only time that it's I feel like it's more accurate is once you go into a public market, the equities you have are tradable, and you can take loans against them, you know, immediately. And so, in that way, you really are, at least in my opinion, like the billion is more real, yeah, (laughs) uh, than if you are in private equities, uh, which you know, things are illiquid. It takes six to 12 months to be able to sell or kind of have transact in any way. And it's based on what the market looks like then and what buyers
1: are available. Do you think a lot of people say different, you brought up a lot of good points about when, when I, when you talk to businesses of like, yeah, our business, you know, it, it's like, how much have you done? They're like $50 million. That that's crazy. Like, you know, 2022, they're like, Oh no, like lifetime. Yeah. Do you think there's a reason why some people will like, there's different types of personalities yeah. in business of, like when I say a revenue number, it's that year, not oh. lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then even it was relatively recent to me. I never ran into someone um, until uh, talking about like run rate mm-hmm. of like, that's not what they're actually going to do this year. That's like what they would do if this best month mm. continued for the next 12 months. Mm. That's what they would do. Like, why do you think people, I don't, I don't want to say they can inflate it, but is do you think that's kind of like what they're doing. Yeah. Making it sound better than it. Yeah. Not that it's bad, but
0: yeah, I think it's status. Yeah, so It's like, it's always a way of like bumping their status, like up one level, like rounding up. It's something that I actually work on a lot is like, try not to round up. I like, I'm not, I'm not perfect at it, but like, I try not to round up. Um, You're a round downer. I actually, I want to be accurate. So 46.2. That, that was I the noticed number. that he said you that like, I mean? like, yeah, it's not more or less. And then trying not to qualify it because to very rich people, that is nothing. And to very poor people, that is everything. And so I can't guess what someone's going to see by that. So it's just, that's what it is. Okay. And
1: with acquisition.com, if I was a golden doodle, how would you explain
0: what acquisition.com is? We are minority investors in companies that are between three and a hundred million a year. And so we take minority stakes typically between 20 and 33% of those businesses. Um, And we, depending on the business, we're either investing for cash flow for some sort of return, or we're reinvesting cash into the business so that we can eventually sell it later. It really just depends on the business. Is it a long-term hold? Is it like a fix and flip? Um, it just depends on the business, but typically we are minority investors in those companies and we bring a lot of hands-on help, uh, to grow the business. And so we get discounts, um, for the valuations, et cetera, that we invest in those companies because we are hands-on, which is yeah. not typical for minority partners. Most times they write the check and they want to ride, you know, just ride along and usually just get the, uh, the founder, some sort of, uh, cash, no cash usually ha- exchanges hands, uh, from us to the founder. Because we're either investing into the business so that it can grow or we're doing something in kind because it's uh, based on the amount of value that we're going to provide. I noticed when I went to
1: acquisition.com there's not that golden doodle spiel on mm-hmm. it. It's like as just soon as you go in, you, you just like have to know what is it like you have to know what it is to like you should know what it is before you
0: even go to the website type of thing. I think it's just because the vast majority of people that do go to the site do know what it is because they've consumed something or multiple things of mine. Like in order for somebody to say, Oh, I'm going to go to acquisition.com. Um, they would usually have consumed at least, you know, a few pieces of content of mine before they would go there. I mean, if they click, you know, investment thesis or any of the other you know links on there, but you know, I come from a direct response background. And so having something that's optimized for uh for conversion is always forefront of mind. And so you know, if I had a big paragraph of what we do on the, on the homepage, I guarantee you I would have fewer deals that would be coming to me. You think I have fewer deals? hundred percent.
1: Hmm. I could prove it. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And did, did you, were you able to snag acquisition.com or do you have to buy that? I bought it. How much did the website cost you? I think it was three seventy something. Three hundred and seventy dollars what the fuck? Yeah. Was it was it someone just, what do they call it, like domain squatting or domain shark? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like someone had a business and you're like, hey, you're, no, I can do better. Just the name. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Did you talk it down? What was the original price?
0: No, I just came in and asking. They were in talks with somebody else. And you're they not didn't. a negotiator? I am, but... It's like what's the what's the goal, you know what I mean for me, the cost of negotiating it because you had another buyer that they had been haggling with, and so I figured that the seller was kind of tired of haggling with this other guy for like I think the number that they were at was like three twenty five or something like that, and they were trying to create some sort of payment plan or something. I was like I'll pay three seventy today cash just wire it so like I can wire it tomorrow um and so the deal closed in like two days, and they had been in talks for like two months yeah. um and, they, and so for me, it's like what's the like is there actually a difference? in how much value I'm going to get out of something if I pay $50,000 less or the downside risk of me just not getting it for me is significantly higher. Um, and I would say that one of the things that I have changed over time is that I used to haggle every single nickel and dime and I value speed more now because the opportunity cost of the time that I wouldn't have it, I will, I'll make more money having it sooner and I'll make up the cost difference with speed. I guess, I guess in my brain, not I mean, I know,
1: you know, uh, it's all relative to, I guess, your income totally. that you have, but in my head, I'm like, don't you think like Nemo, of like, would you take three <laughs> fifty? save you
0: $20,000? It just wasn't,
1: it is yeah. what it is at this point.
0: I want to just get the deal done.
1: How many of the businesses that acquisition.com invest in, would you say get acquired? Cause that's the end, end goal. Like to mm-hmm. the businesses that would sell, would you say, do you have like a success rate or anything?
0: So for us, we're two years in, um, to wow. the minority investment. So even in a normal deal cycle, you know, I probably wouldn't sell it. Like unless we're just flipping a company which is not really our model like i would prefer to hold all of them forever that's my preference i am a minority in a minority position though and so if the founders like i really want to sell then we'll say okay then let's get it ready to sell and that might take 24 months to like you know do a couple of low hanging fruit increase the cash flow you know add a couple of value adds that would be you know significantly increase the enterprise value the multiple we'd be able to get on the company um and then we can, you know, go to market and that going to market process takes 12 months just on its own. Like once the company is ready, it's another year. Do you think a lot of people invest?
1: Obviously they, they get it from you, but like, do they expect that Alex is going to promote my company now? Or is that not really part of the, like you're, you're going for my expertise of myself yeah. and my team. It's not that you're going to be a spokesmodel for look at this chapstick brand that I invested in.
0: Correct. So I am not, uh, I don't, I don't endorse any of the, the companies that we have. Um, and there's, there's a couple reasons for that. One is if I'm going to really endorse something, I do want to have it for a very long time or forever. Um, I usually want to have control. So I'd want to be majority likely, or at least 50, 50 in the business most times. Um, that, I mean, there are special circumstances if it's a massive company and like, it would make sense. I'd be open to it, but it would definitely be an additional, like an additional negotiating point. The biggest risk for me is brand. yeah. Uh, and so like, You know, making an endorsement is, is a big investment because I'm really betting that this guy, gal company is not going to do anything really dumb. And that's tough because there's a lot of people in businesses, you know, if, if you're head of marketing, you know, DM some girl who's underage and he doesn't, and it becomes this whole thing. And then my brand gets associated with that. It's, there's just like, I can control me. And so if I'm going to do it, I want to have as much control as I can. Um, and so that's why I don't normally do it that way. It's also a little bit of a risk to the business because. If I'm a huge driver of value to the business in terms of percentage of sales, et cetera, um, then it does make it more difficult to sell because then the acquirer would have to make a deal with me and a deal with the company. Right. So we do this ultimately to make the companies independently more valuable rather than make them dependent on us, which is kind of like the fast track band aid, but I think long term robs them of the value that we, that they could make on their own.
1: You're, you're, you're essentially, I mean, not, like, do people just compare you to a Shark Tank kind of, sort of all the time. You're like a better looking Kevin (laughs) O'Leary. A more jacked Kevin O'Leary. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly more hair. Yeah. You know, speaking of, (laughs) speaking of, I guess, like, you know, bringing up Shark Tank and the acquisition and, and, uh, you know, percentages, minority stakes. Yeah. A lot of people that, you know, and I'll I'll refer to Shark Tank because I think a lot of people understand Mm -hmm. that show. Um, you'll see a lot of people come in and maybe, you know, people, Hey, Alex, I want you to invest in this. We're doing, what I see a lot on episodes is, is people undervalue, valuing or overvaluing their company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, even I'm a little bit confused when the sharks or you would be like, it's not worth that. If, if some, of companies like, you know, we're, we're doing $10 million in sales. Mm-hmm. Our business is worth $10 million and they get, they're like, no, it's not. It's only worth how much cash you have in the bank. Like, mm-hmm. what is the biggest misconception people have with value, with valuations? beyond like their own ego of like, no, it's, it's worth a whole lot of money.
0: Yeah. So fundamentally when somebody's buying a company, they're buying a percentage of future profits. Right. And so the question is how, how profitable will the company be if it's in the future? How long is that sustainable and what is my risk associated with that? And so if there's, if there's a business that's incredibly transactional, has a single point of failure that's founder led and they're the face and they're the one that drives all the business, that person gets hit by a bus, the company's dead right? That person gets in a scandal, the company's dead. And so you want to have as few, like you want to have multiple stream, you know, multiple different sources of acquisition. You want to have customers that return for a very long time. You want to have some sort of unique mechanism if possible that gives, and it could not necessarily even be about the product. it could be a unique mechanism for acquisition. It could be unique, uh, like just some element that makes it a little bit different that gives some sort of competitive advantage or cushion against the new entrant that's going to try and just copy and rip off the same thing. Brand would be an example of that which is why like Warren Buffett talks about buying big brands. Like anybody can recreate the Apple iPhone. I mean, shoot, China does it all the time. Yeah. But, uh, but they can't recreate Apple. Right. And so like a brand in and of itself would be something that's valuable. And so when they're thinking about that, like, you know, values of businesses are so, uh, murky, right. I don't mm-hmm. want to use amorphous, but they're so, they're so variable. I like the word. You keep yeah. using it, <laughs> amorphous. I'm adding that into my yeah. vocabulary. They're, uh, they're, they're a moving target. You know, it also depends on the, the the capital environment. So if you can borrow money at a cheaper rate, values of companies go up. Same like real estate. Because if you can get money cheaper, in general the whole market starts trading higher. If it's money more expensive, then the, the 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 companies trade lower. And so there's just there's a ton of different variables that go into it. And then also what the company is going to get from the acquirer. So like if a strategic buyer, so a company so to define that, if a company buys another company and the company that bought it would directly benefit uh, from adding that company to its kind of portfolio, like it can cross sell its existing customers into those services uh, or products, then that company will make more from the acquisition than what a financial buyer would be. So like if a family office, a rich, you know, a rich guy just wants to buy a piece of a business or the whole business, he doesn't have any strategic plays He's just going to buy it for what it is. And so like financial buyers tend to buy businesses for less than strategic buyers do. Mm. So you want to find a strategic buyer if you can, but those deals take longer. There's more integration. There's typically, you know, a one or two year consult back period where the founder has to like, make sure it fully, you know, transitions. There's probably some sort of earnout or kickers along with how, how well it does with that transition. Cause some of the value the enterprise value that gets described is based on how much more money we're together going to be able to make. And so um, there's a lot of factors that go into how you value a business. But at the end of the day, it's just what someone is willing to pay. That's true. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when someone goes to sell anything,
1: it's like, they're like it's worth this much, but like, it's only worth as much as someone's willing to pay for it's it. It's market. It's like if you have a $50,000 watch or you think someone's going to buy it, but no one wants to pay 50000 it's not worth $50,000. If you
0: sell in 2009 versus 2021, same business, you get a different number. Yeah.
1: You know, and I, I didn't really mean to go super balls deep on the acquisitions and whatnot, By but all means. something, um, else is a lot of people get caught up in raising money. A lot Mm -hmm. of businesses. What is your, what is your take on the people who either are super prideful that they've never taken money and they're super cash positive. Um, and they're, I guess a slower grower, Mm -hmm. right. Um, versus someone who's, I want to raise tons of money, dilute myself or my company Mm -hmm. because of this big exit. I mean, there's, I guess there's strategies to both. Totally.
0: So I think there's a right way and a wrong way to use, to raise money. Um, the right way of raising money is that you have all the base business economics correct. So I'll give you an example. So let's say uh, you have uh, a product or a software that costs a hundred bucks a month, right? And somebody stays on average for 40 months. So it's a $4,000 LTV, but it costs you, let's say $500 to get that customer. Well, that would mean that the business is going to lose money for the first five months before they even break even on gross margin, like let alone run all the rest of the business, just on spending to acquire, it takes them five months to break even. And then right. they'll make the first quote dollar of gross profit that they can, you know, start paying payroll and other stuff in. In that instance, it makes sense for them to raise money to more rapidly acquire customers because the fundamental economics of the business makes sense where it doesn't make sense is where people will raise money to cover the fact that they're not making money so they can artificially lower prices and, and you know this is kind of the issue that Uber ran into or is running into is that the model is different because if they their the whole concept was we're going to lower the price, gain a lot of market share and then we'll raise the price but in a very real way the price was a big part of why people wanted to use it yeah if cabs are cheaper than Uber then all of a sudden the entire fact that you had this market share only it was price dependent and so that's where it's the it's the tricky balance of are we using this money to speed up an acquisition cycle where we have the LTV to CAC metrics that this makes sense and we just need to do more of it faster to get a certain, you know, size? Um, the other instance is when you're trying to gain market share, but doing it the right way rather than necessarily this Uber example I was giving. Um, the third piece with uh, raising money is that you get insane valuations. And so because like if I let's say I want to sell. of acquisition.com. If I said I was going to do that and I posted it on my Instagram and for some reason the SEC said, yes, you can be a regulation. A, And I I went through all the hoops, right. To do a public offering. I could probably get a billion dollar valuation for acquisition.com today because I sold so little and so many people wanted a piece and they're just betting on my brand that it's going to be worth that in the future, which is fundamentally what it is, because you just have to do the math. It's like, if I sold 0.1% at $10 million then I would have a billion dollar company. So I think I could get $10 million from my audience right now to invest in acquisition.com if it's at 0.1%, probably. Because also because most people aren't sophisticated, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Point is, is that if you do it that way, at some point someone gets hosed. Unless the company really does grow to a business that would, in based on its actual profit, be worth a billion dollars. So theoretically, I could have, I could make, I could raise that money. And then I would grow into my valuation and have, let's say, $100 million in EBITDA or, you know, for people who know what that is just fancy word for profit, just leave it at that, um, you know, five years from now. But the problem is if my sales and my net profit goes up, people are going to bet that it's actually worth $10 because they think it's going to keep going. And so that's the game. Um, and normally those round, those fundraising rounds kind of results in when that when there is the IPO for that company, the people who get hosed is the general public. It's the retail investor who basically does the catch up for all the investors. They basically take out of their wallet um, for, for those people to be made whole, but now they have to grow into that valuation. And so those are kind of like some of the things thinking about with, with the right and wrong ways of doing it, et cetera. I have always been a no outside money guy. And I do that because I, I think you approach business a little differently because I think a lot of times people will raise money because it's an option. And so I believe constraint drives innovation. And so I would rather say, okay, Let's say that that five hundred dollar to four thousand example. It's like okay, we've got uh, whatever that is an eight to one LTV to CAC ratio. Great. For those who don't know what that means, um, lifetime value of the customer compared to how much it co- the cost to acquire them. So I just, you you want a good CAC ratio. In LTV life. to CAC, yeah. yeah. And so um, if we have that, if we have that uh, eight to one ratio, right? I would think okay, if it costs five hundred dollars, is there a way that I can say, can I add a, an onboarding fee, or can I add a sign up fee, or can I add some sort of a uh, front end value add product or service that can liquidate my acquisition costs so that I can be net zero on day one or day 30, where I can get a short term credit line to acquire the customer that's revolving rather than dilute myself in equity. And so I think it's like, I I like trying to solve the problem rather than saying, cool, that's the, that's the equation. Let's go. Um, I just, I, I have a fundamental belief about the world that like, if you ask the right questions, you can solve the problem. And yeah. so that's why I don't, I don't raise um, and I just believe that we can f- if we're if we're creative enough, we can figure out a way to make it grow profitably. Hey, Moza nation, quick break just to let you know that we've been starting to post on LinkedIn and want to connect with you. All right, so send me a connection request and note letting me know that you listen to the show, and I will accept it. If there's anyone you think that we should be connected with, tag them in one of my or Layla's posts, and I will give you all the love in the world. All right, so let's get back to the show.
1: I guess, is do people ever give you of like, you don't, you're not about raising money, but your company is about, you want people to want to raise money.
0: It's not really, most of the times they're not raising money. Um, Like not in the formal sense. Cause most of the times the, the, I mean, more than half of the deals we have, we put no money in Uh, because we're like strategic. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what I was saying earlier with the strategic partner. It's like, well, if I can 10 X your business, then what is that worth to you? Yeah. Is it is it worth you know giving up a, a third to have a ten times bigger thing? So you are now seven times wealthier than you were at the beginning. Everybody wins. Do I'm a big like expand the pie guy.
1: Do you think a lot of people uh, assume there's some sort of number that every business has to get to before? Like let's say people are building a business to get acquired. Is it? Do you think like hey I need to get to ten million. Hey I need to get to fifty million. Hey I need to get a hundred. Or like what is your perspective on how companies view like I want to see this company have success. So they need to get to this certain number or I want to, I see the, the trajectory that I could be on. Mm-hmm. I want to acquire it before it gets so big that their that their uh, value is significantly higher. Like what do you, how do you think people from whose that? perspective? I guess both like a, okay. a, of a, a business owner, like how much money do I need to build it to? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it just like just build a great company and worry less about how fast you're going to get to hundred million, yeah. we'll call it. And from a business perspective, like how do you think that they analyze businesses to acquire.
0: Yeah. So I'll start with the founder one. So founder wise, you know, I would say that the big thing that we always try and find is missionaries, not mercenaries. And so it's people who are really passionate about the cause because somebody who's passionate about the cause will always build a bigger company because they're doing it for the reason for a different reason. And so it's like the person who loves walking walks further than the person who loves the destination. And so when people are trying to build a business in order to sell it, they tend to just have a different energy about going. It's everything. It just inherently is shorter. Yeah. Right. But if you have an unlimited time horizon, then there is no such thing as a rush and you can make the right calls for the long, right? And that's what we really want. Cause you'll get the highest returns with somebody you can think five, 10 years out, but it just won't make sense for one year or two years. But like they can make a huge move. That's going to make it worth a ton. But if they're always obsessed about like, that's why public companies, it's like quarterly earnings calls. Like they have to think short term because CEOs are incentivized, blah, blah, blah. I won't even get into that. But from a founder perspective, um, we prefer long-term thinkers in terms of them getting acquired. I think the line is just at what point you get institutional money. So institutional money would be like, private equity money and up. And normally that doesn't really happen below 10 million in sales. Most of the time, um, I'm excluding tech for like seed and VC and all that. It's just a different game than like what I would consider traditional business, which is what we're in. Um, which is, there's like this, you know, there's a lot of caveats to this. Uh, like with what I was saying earlier with fundraising that tends to happen more in tech companies. You know what I mean? And sometimes like open AI raised a ton of money to build artificial intelligence. Did that make sense? Absolutely. Did they have any way of making money until it started to work? No, still made sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's it, trying to keep it within context. Most businesses that are what I consider normal businesses that don't have a million X possibility um, oftentimes can solve their problems if they just think about it a little bit harder, but back to the founder. So founder with institutional, usually 10 million in top line sales is minimum that they're going to really be interested in, you know, a million in EBITDA maybe, but like if I'm going to go to market, I don't really want to take anything to market below five, like in EBITDA in profit per yeah. year. That's because that, that's when you can, you can get what I would consider real money. You know what I mean? Um, You know, you can get a 50, you can get a hundred, like that's, that's a, a meaningful enough size. And it's like, if, if you got to 10 or, you know, or if you're at 7 million and you've got one and a half million in profit, it's like, dude, we just, let's just, let's just get to 20 and have five. And now this is a company that becomes very acquirable. Okay. And, and a bigger multiple
1: with, with, uh, you know, you're talking about all these different like acquisitions things and yeah. how you're saying, you know, you could raise money from your, your audience. Yeah. Speaking of your audience, how did you get so popular on the internet and why aren't you verified on Instagram? <laughs> Are you pissed course. about that?
0: Um, I mean, you know, you gotta be a little pissed, Zuck, <laughs> Zuck, you know, help, help a brother out. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I actually feel bad about it because there's like a hundred zillion like fake Hormozzi accounts that are like, Hey, invest in my thing. And so all these people uh, get like scamper for it. And I'll get a message like, dude, you took my hundred dollars. Like, Why would I, I get, I get caught on my YouTube videos. They'll get like a,
1: Hey, yeah, hey congrats. WhatsApp send, yeah, yeah. send me yeah. 20 bucks and I'll send you a PlayStation five. And people will DM me like, is this you? I'm like, guys, yeah. like, what do you come on? Like, yeah.
0: as if you have to ask, you already know. <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyways, um, in terms of the, the rise, a lot of it was because of the team. So, I mean, the team that's off to the side here that you can't see. Um, you got Caleb, you got Quinn, you got the boys with a Z, um, who really, who really, uh, packaged you know, me well and make me look cooler than I am. Uh, and so that's my goal every day. <laughs> it's me too. Um, and so it was really just, you know, applying the same things that we did with business just to kind of media and media is very new to us. I mean, I've, we've really only been doing it hard for, I would say a year. Um, we started doing it in general. Like I started posting like, two or three uh, YouTube videos a week of just me like screen recording myself. Yeah. Uh, I think in September of 20. So it's been two ish years, um, right now. And so, but anyways, taking it more seriously and actually doing like shorts and stuff we did about it a year and change ago is when we started doing that stuff. And that started growing. I think a lot of it is because there wasn't a lot of people doing it. We got into the right time. Um, Yeah, we've been, we've been, we've been very lucky in a lot of things like that. I got into Facebook advertising in 2013, you know, with, with the gyms and the fitness businesses. So like I was super early on that. I've just, I've had a lot of things that just like it worked out that I got in early and we got a disproportionate return. Um, but I mean, honestly, I think if I were to give you a real answer, I, I don't know. You know, I think, I think there's a little bit of a vacuum for what I would consider real business education. Um, because most of the people that are teaching business don't have very big businesses and the people with very big businesses don't make content. And I think that's, so. I think it's just, it's a crisscross of those two things, which is a, uh, a very understandable story of legitimacy. Um, and then the, the quote advice, you know, that we, that I, you know, put out there is, um, is stuff that people actually, I get DMs all the time. They're like, dude, I ran that promotion that you said, I just made 50 grand like all the time. Like, dude, I, I I changed your sales process and we tripled our sales. So people are actually using it, seeing the result. And then they become true believers because they're like, dude, this is better than all the stuff I've paid for. And that's the goal. You know, I just want to, I get like my selfish intent here is that there's a kid who's 20 right now consumes all my stuff. And in four years is doing 10 million a year. And it's like, dude, you've been on my vision board. I want acquisition.com as a partner. Let's make it happen. Like that's why I do it, but it's a long game. Was you know it I mean?
1: uh, you know, although you have a similar beard, slightly almost as jacked as the liver king you know he had a strategy of like i'm gonna become popular on the yeah. internet like it yeah. came out
0: right well i'm 50 pounds heavier than the liver king I'll are have, you, you know, yeah you look jacked man you're like a Thanks. lump you know. <laughs> let the record show <laughs> <laughs> um
1: and you don't have to eat testicles man yeah would all free since i well, three <laughs> well there was that one time when yeah <laughs> when i went to yeah. omnia yeah um <laughs> would uh like was was there a point when you were like i want to become I want to become a, a thing on the internet. Cause you said it was like two years. hundred like,
0: percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it was actually, it was, it was like a series of, so I'll give you the, I'll give you the long real answer, which was, I really wanted to be rich and anonymous. And there's like one video that Caleb was found of me being like, fuck content, <laughs> like all this stuff, stupid. Like I just want to be rich and have no one bother me. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a really long time. And then what happened was like the thing that was like the first big crack is like anybody who's listening to this and thinks is ridiculous. But when Kylie Jenner hit the, the front of Forbes and she was like 20 and a billionaire, I honestly, I was like depressed for a day. Like, I really was like, <laughs> I think the world was depressed. I was like, why do I suck? Yeah. like Why no, yeah. am I insufficient? But I was like, you know what? Kris Jenner organized her whole life. Kris Jenner's the G. She's the one who's really older. Like, she's just a figurehead for like Chris's empire. She's a, She's also more attractive than you. Oh yeah. Right. If I, <laughs> dude, if I had her, but I wouldn't even be here, right. Um, <laughs> anyways, so that happened. But I like, you know, my ego is like, no, it was just Chris and then it was organized. Okay, cool. And then Conor McGregor came out with a uh, proper 12 and it was like, boom, 600 million. I was like, shit, he did 600 million with that. Well, the company's worth 600. Yeah. Oh, um, and then, and then Huda beauty. She sold a portion of her company for at 600 million, just a YouTuber I don't and an Instagram. I know. And then, uh, and then again, I was like, this is like, this is starting to become a, a theme. And then the rock had Terramana and then now they're worth like two to four billion. And so this just, kept, again, it was like these chinks in in my armor of like, you know, all this fame stuff, stupid. Like, why would you want to be famous? You know, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, finally I was at a, a buddy of mine's house. He's, he's very famous. Um, who is he? And I don't want to name drop him. Um, <laughs> he's very famous. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to blow him up. Um, that's right. And, and it's Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His friends call him bar. Um, and so, okay. Anyways. Uh, so I was there and he's like, and I was like, don't you get tired of like the, the weird messages and like letters at your door and people dropping off, like threatening your family and kids and stuff like, isn't that like, I was like, that sounds horrible. Yeah. And he said, if that's the price I have to pay for the impact I want to have, I'd make that trade every day of the week. And I just like, it just like stabbed me. And I was like, here I am saying that I like want to help people out and make products and services that you know serve communities and whatnot. And I was like, and I'm just too much of a pussy to like get out there. You were doing like, a
1: disservice by yeah. not producing content,
0: right? And that's exactly that. That was like the and so at, after that point, I was like, all right, we're doing it. And so you know, I I, I got a couple of vendors to to new different platforms because uh, I just started with agency, so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And they were like, just send us. Three videos a week. I was like, okay. And then that was what started it. And then, um, you know, we started recruiting, bring people in-house and now, you know, our in-house team is bigger than our, our vendor team. Um, but yeah, so we just start, you know, just started pulling the thread and started getting a little bit better and just try to add new platforms, you know, every, every few months and learn how this whole game works. And there's a strategy to become popular on the internet. Yeah. More good content. Mm, I've been doing it wrong for like 10 years, man. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? no, it's, so it's like, actually, so the, for anybody who is trying to do this, it's quantity first. So you just have to put out a lot of stuff and you do a lot of stuff, not because you're going to get a lot of reach from it, but because you don't know what you're doing. And so it tells you, it gives you two things. One is it gives you feedback from the audience because there's gonna be some stuff that does better than others. And so yeah. it's like, cool, do more of that. And the flip side, you'll also start to kind of like learn your voice. Cause if you listen to some of my older videos, I sound just different, just less articulate, you know, whatever it just, I wasn't doing this as much. And so, um, quantity first. And then you start to learn how to increase the quality. That's like doing the more of that good stuff. So you start getting, you're like, Oh, why did that video do well? Oh, is that a topic thing? Or did I have a good hook? Like whatever. you start studying the things that are outliers that do a little bit better. And then you really start focusing on quantity. So quality kind of drops a little bit. And then you start quantity kind of drops and you just start focusing on like, if I put out one really good video, it does way better than 10 shitty videos. And so you're like, I'm going to do more of that. And I think the third phase is quality quantity where you can put out amazing videos and then more of them or you know whatever your version of content is podcasts, et etc and so um that's kind of how i see the some of the phases playing out and so right now we're right at the i'd say cusp into the con- condensing down into more quality because we've just been boom quantity to learn what the market wants you know i always want to talk about like ltv to cac you know ratios and like churn ratios and like just different ways of like onboarding customers to increase ltv yeah. and like no one cares so i was like huh but if i'm like hey I care, uh, I care. Yeah. It depends on the audience. You know what I mean? Um, And so we, we actually alternate content. I mean, if we're, um, we're going into it, so we'll alternate content where it's like, there's, there's top of funnel content, which is content that we think will just reach a lot of people. And so that will, like, if I make something about Chipotle, which is reference at the beginning of the show, delicious, right. It got you right. And so you might be, you know, it'll attract everybody, which means the net will also include bigger business owners because it includes everyone. But then to earn trust with that person that's where the track, you know, the track record, et cetera, helps like having the, you know, the companies that we have and the exits and whatnot. Um, but then we have deep content that doesn't get the same amount of reach as kind of like the more general content. But then those people get to have, in my opinion, just like a deeper relationship. That's my running theory. I could be completely wrong. So that's how we, what see I it. got from that is Chipotle is the reason for your success. Yes.
1: The common, the common thing among, among the people. Yes. And you, it's chorizo <laughs> tr- it is delicious. You made a comment about uh, like, uh, I don't want to call them like fake gurus or fake business people, yeah. but I'm sure that was probably frustrating of seeing, seeing popular people on the internet who you were like, well, something's not right there. Do you ever get people that think you're a fake guru? Yeah,
0: it doesn't. I don't, I honestly don't think much about it but yeah, was, I'm sure there are people who are. I was
1: doing a little deep dive. And first of all, I've learned to never go into Reddit forums just <laughs> in your life, right? Cause the, it's the dark side of the internet and some comments that i was seeing which which again is that because i was doing research about you right is that people were like there's no way that this man is just giving out information for free there's some ulterior motive right and i think someone said what you some of your your books are super cheap and and they were like it's a strategy which it might be but like what do you say to people who are being like there's no way he would just give all this information. I'm He's super, trying to
0: suck us for money. I'm super transparent about my intention. I'm here to absolutely make money, but I just don't need most people's money. So if I have one Facebook investment, I make more than I would sell than I would if I sold coaching and programs and, and courses and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't need to. Cause like I said, if I make one, uh, you know, like we have 16 companies in the portfolio right now, like most of them, I could probably like my equity stake is probably worth, I don't know, Five ten ish million, um, just as a conservative medium, how many, you know, how many thousand dollar courses do I have to sell to do that a lot? Yeah. And in terms of a brand that I want to build, I don't want to do what everyone else does. So why would I want to, you know, I don't want to live their life. And to be fair, like most of the, like, there's a cap to how much money you can make. If that's the game, like you can't get, in my opinion, you're not going to get like ultra wealthy. So for me to get to a billion, I'm not going to get there selling courses. Yeah. So I have to, I have to own something or stuff that's worth a billion. And so I have to play the game differently. So for we were like, you know, he's trying to suck us for money. I'm probably not trying to suck that person for money because the type of person that I'm going after understands exactly what I'm doing. Um, so they have nothing to fear. Um, but no, I mean, we have, I have books. And the reason I had the book, it's 99 cents and you know, it's crazy. It's like so many people from like Bangladesh and like Pakistan, like people who really like they can buy the book and they're like, I get all these thank you messages, which is cool. Um, but I also think it's like part of the reason I'm doing this way is because like I kind of want to prove a point, which is that you don't have like you don't have to play the game the same way. Like if and I just have this big belief that if you give the most away in the marketplace, you get the most. Over a long enough time horizon, you get the most back. And so everyone gets a little bit of goodwill and they try to monetize. A little bit of goodwill, they monetize, right? But if you can just deposit and deposit and deposit, and people are like, I don't know, when is the other when is when's is the other shoe gonna drop? And yeah. then and then and then you just keep proving it wrong, then that doubter, that person, actually ends up becoming your biggest fan. Like they become your biggest supporter. I think people just want to
1: assume that everyone has some evil intent or I'm here to make money. They're yeah. like, I'm very, well, yeah. a lot of people that'd be like saying like, God, Apple only comes out with new iPhones to make more money. It's like, no shit. It's like, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, um, like, what do you, what do you think about, we'll call them fake gurus, like, or people that are, uh, trying to sell the, people who soak sell, sell courses about how to build a business, but their only business experience is Selling make, the making a course to, about how to, about yeah. how to build
0: business. Yeah. So I think, so this is a really, um, it's an, I have, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, because I, I have really strong views about the formal education system. I believe that there's the supply and demand of like the demand for income generating skills will not go away. That's only going to get more. Right. and, the supply of people who could provide those skills in the formal education system was basic is basically nothing. And so they, their poor job, the fact that they never adapted, they skyrocketed the price, which is subsidized by the government so that no one could bankrupt themselves out of it, which created these insane uh, tuitions and, and no longer provided because they never changed. So it's the same education you got 50 years ago, but the markets changed dramatically. And so they just sell a really outdated product for an egregious price. And so the market Continues to shift. So every every year for the last three years, college enrollment has dropped, and it's dropping faster every year because Gen Z is like, like I don't think it's ROI. I'm makes just going to dance
1: on TikTok now
0: or whatever. <laughs> you know, or I'll start a business because now, because yeah. like when I went to school, like YouTube wasn't a thing. You know, what I mean Instagram wasn't a thing, and so like the the content that exists now wasn't there. And how old are you by the way? Thirty three. Same Z's. There you go. Same age, same physique. It's great. Done. Um, and so. Uh, this marketplace of alternative education sprouted from demand. People want to have these skills. And so a market will always appear where there's demand. And so people started providing that. I do think that we're in kind of still early days, big picture on alternative education, uh, because there will be illegitimate players and there will be legitimate players because if someone wants to learn a skill and someone says like, I want to learn how to sell and there's a sales school, what's wrong with that? The problem for the alternative education scene is that is the expectations that people set and the track record that they lie about. So I'll dive into both those real quick. So the expectations that are set is the primary issue that people don't have a problem with formal education and do have a problem with alternative education. So people spend two hundred thousand dollars in four years and go into debt that they can't get out of because college promises nothing. They promise nothing. Yeah. They don't say you're guaranteed to get a job. They just say, you'll have four years here. You might. Good luck. What we do guarantee is that if you get grades, we'll give you a diploma. That's the guarantee. And they fulfill that promise, which there's a whole nother conversation about expectation setting. On the other hand, a guy sells a thousand dollar course and promises that you're going to make $10,000 within 30 days. The course may be exceptional. It may teach a lot of skills, but if someone doesn't make $10,000 in 30 days, they hate the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so even though there may be in a very real way more value in that course than they do get in the in the, the four year education. And my wife's father is actually a former um, dean of engineering school uh, professor. And he said and he's like bought some of the courses and he's like making money online now. And he's like, I would never tell someone to go to school anymore. He's like, I've learned so much more from these courses than I did from anything that we teach at school. And so like the 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 game has shifted. And now also because YouTube has just blown up, a lot of really good stuff is available online for free. Yes, and so all that to say uh fake guru, in my opinion, just comes down to deception, so deception in terms of what you did to 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 validate yourself, to say that you are an authority, so it's kind of like the example of like I own a hundred million dollar business, and what it really means is like all of the customers that I've ever serviced over my entire life make a hundred million dollars, yeah, and you're actually an agency that has Ten clients and one of them happens to be like if someone it's like if my if a if vendor from and this this shit happens is a, a vendor of mine makes like one TikTok a month for me and he's and then he would say i you know my clients make half a billion dollars see then he's even still putting clients in but some guys will go, you just drop the clients and be like our you know our company is 500 million dollars a year like that's a lie Right. Yeah. And so it's really about the premise and the expectations that's being set. If someone says I was a sales guy at a company and I was a top 10% sales guy for five years, I can teach you how to sell. Um, that's a pretty straightforward, like, and he teaches somebody how to sell. And the way that he delivers that is a course and some sort of like, you know, call feedback and you refuse calls because, you know, maybe helps you get a job. Like that's a business and it's a demand. And the person wanted to get a sales job, which there is no good college career you know path for sales. So the demand existed and the market created itself. I think a lot of the, the issues
1: with it is that it, it it's like the further it goes down the rabbit hole of it starts with a good intent and then people teach people how they're going to like how to sell. And then now they're like, oh, I've learned everything from this course. Now I'm going to get some people to teach them what I learned from this person. And it just gets like, I don't want to say dumber and dumber, but it's like less. Alluded. Yeah. Less from the authenticity of
0: like yeah. the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. It's and that's and that's so it's either it's the deceit around expectations and it's the deceit around legitimacy and I think those are the two core issues for why like if those two problems were solved and like let's just play out a, a perfect scenario if someone you know if Bob Iger from Disney now Bob Iger from Disney doesn't need to sell a course because he because he's rich enough on its own on his own but if Bob Iger wanted to sell a course on how to be CEO and said I'm Bob Iger and I've been CEO of Disney and I promise you that all I'm going to teach you is the lessons that I've learned. I don't think people would have an issue with it. Right. They would buy the course. They wouldn't buy the course, whatever. But like, he's not going to say, if you do this, you'll be CEO of a company. That's where he'd get in trouble. Right. So it's, what's my legitimacy and what are the expectations that I'm setting for the customers? What promises am I, am I making and can I deliver on them? And so it's like, if we have these two things that are legit, here's why you should trust me and you're not lying or exaggerating. And then here's the expectation you should have. And you're not lying or exaggerating. I think you're completely in the clear. But most people can't do that because it's so easy to just push it a little bit, just a little bit, and uh, and get way more people to buy and raise your price by a lot more and blah 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 blah. blah.
1: Yeah, and no, I I completely agree with you. Do you do you well? Do you sell any courses on how to? No, no,
0: it's all free on the site. You don't have to opt in.
1: You know, some things I look at is, and I guess some people want to have maybe a. Uh, uh, they they want to pay someone to have this specific, like I paid. So I'm going to feel like I, I need to follow mm-hmm. through with something. Mm-hmm. Cause in my head, and maybe this is just how my brain works. I'm like, why would you pay someone if people who are building businesses like you, like maybe even a Gary Vee or something, yeah. they're literally putting out hours and hours and hours a week of content of what yeah. they're doing, how they do it tips. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just listen to these people? So people should do that.
0: Um, but most people aren't that way. And so there's a couple of things that like, i am you know, a tweet that went really viral, mine was um, give away the secrets, sell the implementation. Right. And so, you know, you could make the same argument like use all my stuff and get to 100 million, which you can. Right. But you also want personalization, which is like, does this apply to my company right now? Ah, well, okay. Well, that requires nuance. And I can't make personalized nuance in a video. Right. And so a lot of people think, and this is the crazy thing people think that if they give away their secrets, they're not going to make money, but you're going to make more money if you give away your because You're yeah. just afraid of it. Right. And so you sell the implementation. And so, to your point, like fundamentally, the entire fitness industry is based on selling accountability, like stop eating and move more. Like it's not complicated, mm-hmm. right? But the heart is in the execution. And so that's, so to your point, um, should people just execute? Sure. Do they No. demand market? And so they're like, I need help. I need someone to hold me accountable. I need someone to personalize it. If I get, if I have a plateau, someone who's done this with a hundred other people before me so that I can avoid the common pitfalls. And so that, that, promise exists in every industry you want to implement a crm sure you can watch the crm videos but they're probably not perfect for you or your business right now so you pay for implementation you know if you have you know a gardening thing like you can teach people how to garden but then some people are like can you just do it for me sure like you know what i mean like yeah. all of these things um there's always an opportunity like you can provide all the value up front and people will still want help and i think that that's a totally noble and fine business you help people out who want it you help everyone else for free it's a win-win